I was going to do like a, a big Hollywood intro like I normally do, but we're kind of going here. So I'll just explain for everybody off the cold intro right now that obviously this is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast. And I'm here with my bandmates, Cody Drasser and Keith Harris of Afterbirth. Um, What's up? Yeah. What up? And, and unfortunately, um, no false advertising. I gave the impression to people the whole band was going to be available. We Big shout to Dave, our bass player. Um, he wasn't able to make this Skype meeting, so um, we wish him the best, and, and uh, we look forward to seeing him at rehearsal and all that in the future, man. It's been a crazy blizzard weekend here on Long Island. Yeah, Dave is the um, the resident Luddite in that he has very few electronic uh, gizmos. He doesn't even own a computer, so he was not able to <laughs> join join up here, so yeah. that's why. <laughs> we were trying to airdrop a smartphone into his igloo, but it didn't work out. So. I, I, I could call an Uber driver to go get him, and he can come join with me. Hey, that would work. <laughs> but they're all snow. You need an Uber with a snow plow. On Long Island now, you probably got Ubers with snow plows, like a big truck with a snow plow Uber. Yeah, unless, oh, I got a, yeah. unless I got a two-seater snowmobile, huh. that, that would work. Well, I definitely don't, so. So... Yeah, so so rehearsals canceled on account of this blizzard this weekend here in Long Island, New York. So we decided it would be a fun idea to do this uh, Q&A podcast. Uh, I twisted these guys' arms and got them to come on the show. And uh, like I said, we farmed out some questions from Afterbirth social media and from Heavy Hole social media. If you guys are ready to get right into it, I'm going to start off um, with the most important people, the Patreon people, mm-hmm. um, who uh, who paid to, paid to, uh, to be here right now. All right. All right, so just to break the ice, um, just looking a big shout to Tom and Justin, by the way, helping me in the uh, the pre-production and behind-the-scenes work. Um, always, uh, Tom was able to uh, facilitate these Patreons. First off, big shout to Brendan Dean of um, Gut Void. We did a whole uh, uh, episode interviewing Brendan. You can go back of Gut Void and various bands. Um, he asks, obviously, since the Afterbirth Boys are Rush fans, I gotta ask. How direct? How excuse me? How direct is their influence in the writing process? And top three fave Rush albums. Also, when are you planning to play Toronto? I thought this would be a great start. All right, Keith, that's your question. I'll give that one to you. So yeah, so so Keith, how direct an influence is Rush on Afterbirth? Um, from your angle behind the drums there, uh, and top three Rush albums. Uh, I would say there's a little bit of Rush influence in my playing. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of that in most drummers, but uh, as far as three top Rush albums, ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh, I would have to say, hmm, I like Hemispheres, Farewell to Kings, 2112, probably my top fave. Okay, man. Um yeah. And uh, all right, so Cody, I know because I I wanted to start with that because obviously we all know Keith is a huge Rush guy, um, but Cody, what about you, man? Uh, big Rush uh, uh, influence? I I am not as big into Rush as Keith is, or any like really true Rush fan. I just appreciate them so much, and yes, I know all like the radio hits and a, a little bit. A little bit more of their catalog beyond the radio hits. Um, I'm very much into like the history of the band. Like that stuff is very interesting. Um, and I, you know, I just without them, there wouldn't be a lot of what we know today as like metal, extreme metal, prog, progressive metal, death metal. Um, so, you know, that's pretty much my stance on them. Um, 
I, I definitely appreciate them and I'm so glad they exist. And I, just personally me, that's my stance on it. Cause I, I never really listened to too much rush just like on my own, but like Keith, I know is a huge fan. A lot of my friends are huge fans. So I just sort of absorbed that vibe, you know, over the years from my friends and Keith. Yeah, I, I'm probably also, more on that side of thing, Cody. I'm sorry, Keith, let me pass it back to you because I was going to ask you to elaborate more on the Rush thing because I know how deep you go with it. Well, for those Rush fans out there, uh, Alex Lifeson just uh, put out a new project called Envy of None. He's got a title track, uh, Liar, up on uh, social media. Check it See, out. I wouldn't even have known that, Keith, you know, but <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of like uh, Nine Inch Nails. It's not what you would expect from Alex Lifeson, but the guitar work and the, and the synths on, on the song. Well, they only put out one song. Kind of reminds me of Rush a little bit. It's got that Rush vibe. Hmm. Uh, hard, hard to get away from that, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> being... mix, mix with Nine Inch Nails like vibe, but it's got a female singer. It's pretty, Interesting. Pretty, uh, pretty trendy stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's like updated, like, you know, it's not, it's current, you know what I mean? Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I mean, that's about all I got. I mean, I, I can go on and on and on, but, you know, my three top faves are what I said, so. Keith, are you moving around? Nah. We're getting a lot of, like, like is somebody hitting the mic or something or tapping? Uh, yeah, I was tapping. Okay. I, I, yeah, I do that nervous thing. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll just try to watch that because it's going to destroy the feed while you're talking. All right, I'll, I'll tap on the snare instead. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Little drum rolls. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, just just watch just watch on to that because I want to capture what you say, man. Uh, okay, so Rush, and also Keith, I was going to ask you how, how how many times and have you seen Rush live? I saw them. Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, Presto, uh, Counterparts, R30. I didn't get to see R40. <laughs> but, yeah, I'd say about five five times. Wow, man. That's decent, you know. That's, I, I also mean. I have, like, Clockwork Angels live from uh, Cleveland, Ohio on, on DVD. So I've watched that, the Time Machine tour. And I also have the Snakes and Arrows tour on Blu-ray. <laughs> I, have a, I, I have a lot of footage of, of Rush on Blu-ray, <laughs> put it that way. Nice. Wow. All right. What's Well, what's your favorite? Like, is there one that stands out? Is there, like, a, a Rush concert, re like, recorded concert experience that stands out? I, I would have to say Power Windows is my first, like, big plus for me. I mean, I... The sense on that show, like, was so deep. <laughs> huh. Wow! Yeah. Just, just uh, like the lasers and you know, laser projections on the screen. Like during marathon, they had like a guy running made out of lasers. Like, yeah, back then they just had laser projections. It was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was, what was that? Like mid eighties, late eighties? When was Power Windows? Uh, I would say eighty six, eighty seven. I want to say. Sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, I would have been in like tenth grade, something like that. Wow, was where where was it? Like Jones Beach or Nassau Coliseum? Coliseum. Coliseum, sweet man. What was that? I had like a pretty popular. Was it Time Stand Still? Is that the like they had a video for that song? With like Amy Mann was in the video. I, pre I believe it's from that album. Yep, uh, uh, I think that was Hold Your Fire. Oh, I could be wrong. You know, you you know more than I do, but 
for some reason that stands that one, stands yeah, that's out. The one directly at the power windows, holding fire. The, the red yeah. album with the three three like orbs on the cover. Yeah, I just know it's kind of they had there was like that '80s thing going on, you know. Mm-hmm. More more synth driven. Um, obviously, still much of, very much a progressive rock band, but more synth elements. You yeah, know, they which got a, they got into the technology, the electronics phase, and, and then kind of grew out of it. Yeah, I mean, I put a lot of fans off. I know it was almost like Iron Maiden doing the same thing with Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son with the synth. So a lot of like old school Iron Maiden fans were like, Ugh! you know, you know what but I'm you, saying. But you never, but live, like when they played live, we never seen the synth play. He was like behind, like behind the backdrop of speakers, like fake cabs and shit. Like, yeah, they if, always do that. <laughs> if you were sitting like on the left side of the stage, looking at the right side, like close up, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd see the keyboard player. <laughs> yeah, right. Keith, I don't is... know if he, has, he might have stage fright. I, I think that's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith, is, hide him. is is it you who had the story about going to see Ozzy Osbourne and there was somebody else singing behind the stage or something? Somebody else singing. Yeah, like kind of like yeah, like a behind the curtain uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, uh, Millie Vanilli <laughs> singer, you know, for for I think for Ozzy or something. Somebody had some concert story allegedly like that. I thought maybe it was you. Oh, I mean that could be true, but that wasn't me. Uh, okay, okay. Maybe okay. Ozzy was like annihilated at that show and couldn't do it. <laughs> so right. You know, I know it's a thing that they do. You know, I've only like recently become hip to that. Like major touring acts, they will have. Um, people not visible on stage but playing like major parts uh major roles in the songs that maybe the original members can't do quite as well anymore um you know that's i never realized that that was like a thing i I would not doubt if ozzy or plenty of other bands do that in order to pull it off you know instead of resorting to the milli vanilli cd you know stance they'll just like literally get someone that sounds just like (laughs) the musician yeah um either to do it outright while the the vocalist or instrumentalist sort of mimics the moves or yep. as like a, an adjunct to like what's already going on. I, I'll admit that the for like probably the last seven years of Artificial Brain, we had a koala in a cage behind the stage doing all the vocals. I was just kind of pantomiming the... You know whatever was going on. It was, Fuck, dude. Yeah, it That's was, nuts. It, it was yeah. Peter got involved. No, let me stop there. All right, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little loose because I'm hanging out with you guys. But um, but I got off on a tangent because that wasn't you uh, with the, with the alleged Aussie experience. Sharon Osbourne can hold the lawyers back. Um, uh, but we got we do have a lot of questions. I'm glad that we started off hard with Rush because um, I hope Brendan realizes how hard of a. Uh, 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 a Rush fan Keith really is now after a little sample of that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and I also saw Snakes and Arrows live. That was in Florida. Okay, all right. <laughs> there you go. So, well, so you've seen them in Florida. You've seen them in New York. How many states have you seen Rush in? Just two. Uh, actually, did I see them in New Jersey? No, oh, no, I haven't. Just, just New York and Florida. Okay, all right. Fair enough. It's two more states than I've seen them in, so you know. All right. Well, here's here's another question, not uh, not rush related. Uh, well, maybe we'll see how it winds back. Um, from Sean on our Patreon, big shout to Sean on our Patreon supporting us. He says, "I've listened to Four Dimensional Flesh so much since it came out. It's a beautiful, unique album. I was wondering if you all would mind sharing something related to gear playing that you really feel helped you level up on a personal level." As music, as musicians, he adds, as musicians, we all have those things that we learn 
or get told late in the game where we think, I wish I knew that sooner. For me, it's stuff like gain staging uh, when recording or not understanding chromaticism and brutal death metal riffs when trying to play them on guitar. So I guess if we want to talk about a little bit about gear uh, on four-dimensional flesh and just anything on a personal level that kind of really leveled you up as a musician. Hmm. Well, you mean like like equipment we use, like stuff we use to play on, or yeah, go in, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, Keith, what? Tell us about your kit that you use to play on on 4DF. I use the uh, Gretsch Catalina Maple shells on that on that set, and uh, and the Maple Snare gave it a nice deep rich tone. Uh, threw on all new Evans heads. Had the Evans HD head on the snare. Uh, nothing too fancy as far as pedals, just the PDP, uh, Pacific Drumware pedals, double mm-hmm. bass, uh, Zildjian cymbals, fast crashes, uh, China Boy, and a uh, Z-Bell. What about the Rototoms? Let's talk about the Rototoms. Well, since Can't I leave those out. <laughs> well, since I didn't have a full set of Octobonds, I figured I'd go Rototoms because they kind of sound high-pitched like... but. The only difference is octavons. You can actually tune to an octave, like, and do like leads off the guitar. But after birth, there's not too many leads, but the rototoms kind of gives it that Neil Peart edge to it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Back to Rush. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I do my sweeps, like you know, like it, it kind of reminds me of like a Rush fill here and there. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think nothing. Yeah, I, I mean, I always think about Neil Peart when you play. You know, I mean, I'm a little ignorant about all that in in one sense, but like, I just I know enough about it, and I'm like versed enough that I'm like, it just sounds so much like Rush, which is not like you're copying a style or you know trying to emulate him. It's just that it's just, you know it, it speaks through you so so like vividly. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, because whenever I used to practice when I was younger, I'd always throw on Rush. I'd play like an entire album, mm-hmm. <laughs> put the headphones on, and just play along with it. Sick. Wow. wow. Also, I had the sheet music too at the time. I had like the Rush book of all his, you know, all his fills, everything. So you had to get Roto Toms or something equivalent to be able to pull off all those hits. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of percussion. I mean, he has like wood blocks, he has chimes, he has cowbells, like. I don't have all that fancy bells and whistles, you know. <laughs> a lot of splash cymbals. He's got, he's got like, yeah, you've seen his kit. I mean, it's inc- it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he utilizes the whole entire kit, which is nuts. I'm sure. <laughs> wow. Well, all right. So, um, and then we'll come back to you maybe for some, like a game, game change. It was a two-part question. So, Cody, back to you for four-dimensional flesh on gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, you know, my gear is very simple. Um, I'm not like a gearhead. I, uh, I'm not like super mechanically oriented. So it's like I couldn't really like get on. I, I have never gotten like under the hood of my amp or guitar. Um, I've just, although I don't think we play meat and potatoes death metal. I've always been just a meat and potatoes player. If that makes any sense with my gear. Um, pretty much what I've been using. Ever since like our reformation, I have an Ibanez RGD three two one, three twenty one guitar. It's just six string, you know. Um, I've always used the Adario Gauge eleven strings for whatever reason. They just have always felt 
right for me. Not too heavy, just light enough, but like retaining um, a nice distortion edge. Um, if we want to get like really technical here, I use uh, Tortex Dunlop picks. <laughs> um, I usually go with like the 1.0 or the 1.14 millimeters. Uh, you know, I have a combo amp, a Black Star combo amp that I used on the album, but also, you know, Colin Marston, you know, hooked it up, you know, when I was doing like second tracks or he was doing like reamping through other amps that I, I'm not remembering right now. So I could like dig through photos and like figure it out, but I just don't know. Um, you know, my pedal board is like a basic setup. I have a Boss Noise Suppressor. Um, I have a TC Electronic Polytone Tuner. And really, like the pedals I use, like the effects pedals, it's a Line 6 Echo Park and a hardwired DL8 delay looper pedal. That's about it. It's all powered by an MXR ISO brick. So there's really not much more than that. Okay. That, that's a lot, of, um, a lot of stuff I don't understand, but I think the listeners will get something out of it. Um, but I do appreciate all the effort and um, and work that goes into knowing all that sort of stuff. Now, speaking of me not being as knowledgeable, can you speak a little bit to Dave's setup, that, um, particularly for four-dimensional flesh? Um, I couldn't really without looking at it. You know, he has, you know, his particular bases that he likes to use. He's got, you know, his head set up in a certain way. And he's got his pedal board. Um, I can kind of, like, see it in my head. But I, I don't remember like brand names or anything like All that. All right, we won't stress it, man. We'll get Dave on his, um, himself again for for uh, the future for some projects. I know he's got some new Killer Hill stuff going on too. Uh, mm -hmm. People can check out Killer Hill, his other project that he's involved in with uh, other members of Helmet. Um, so the second part of that question, though, was kind of uh, uh, Sean from our Patreon references. Um, you know, musicians as we get older. Um, uh, things that we wish we knew sooner, and for him it was gain staging when recording and not understanding chromaticism and brutal death metal riffs. Uh, so what are some things that were real game changers for you guys, Keith, for you in playing drums and uh, Cody on guitar? Uh, well, Keith, Keith can go first if he wants to. As far as death metal? Or just your playing, right? Yeah, in general. Well, as far as, as, far as playing death metal, uh, you know, some of, some of my earlier influences were like, the drummer necrosis internal bleeding suffocation um you know all, all the all pretty much all the death metal bands that, that matt introduced me to well including atrocity and uh what else gore guts hmm. death um you know i started listening to more and more death metal and and just got a vibe of of the style of playing that i needed to do was, in order to make it work was and there was like I'm so, I'm sorry, Keith. Just 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 for, on, more on the question though. Like, was there like a aha moment when you were trying to figure out all this double bass and blast beats? And like, was there like a moment when you kind of got a technique down and you realized like, okay, it's like riding a bicycle. You know what I mean? Was there like a, something that clicked that you, if you could go back to to teenage Keith and be like, listen, this is what you got to get down. Uh, as far as blast beats, yeah, there there was definitely an aha moment. Like as far as technique, um, you know. It's just a combination of, of right, right, right on the snare. You know, hit on the snare, hit the bass, hit the snare, hit the bass, and then the cymbal on 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 every other note, and then you do that really fast, and and that just uh, turns into a blast beat. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
And uh, I worked at it slow and then worked my way, you know, worked my speed up. And when I was busting my chops in uh, Florida, I had my little electric kit set up in my apartment. So I started practicing blast beats and playing along with like Cryptopsy and Suffo and other bands. <laughs> wow. Okay. What's interesting is people can go back and listen to that, uh, the, uh, the compilation that was released on Pathos Productions from Afterbirth. Mm -hmm. And when they hear, I think it was, what's on that, the rehearsal demo and some live tracks? Yeah, it's the rehearsal demo, which is three songs, uh, Psychopathic, which was the four songs, and then a lot of live stuff. Um, yeah, because what I'm getting at is if people listen to the rehearsal demo, they can hear and then listen to embryo like, um, Psychopathic Embryotomy, they can hear Keith's evolution on Blast Beats. It's true, because if you listen to, I don't know, just like Aborted Christ, which is like the first song, and I think on both demos, like Aborted Christ on the rehearsal demo, it's much slower, you know. Um, it's, it was still sort of like more of a mid-paced, faster song at that point, but... Um, just like a year later, you know, Keith's playing, all are playing, but, you know, Keith specifically, since he was talking about his drums, was, like, much, much improved, you know, and fast, but also clean, you know, not, like, sloppy fast. Like, he sort of, like, mastered those techniques, you know? It wasn't just, like, muscling through anything for him ever, I didn't think. Yeah, it definitely didn't happen overnight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, it took me a uh few hours at a time practicing in my bedroom and mm -hmm. just getting it down you know so we can improve songs <laughs> or yeah. can add, you know more death metal riffs to a song <laughs> good old-fashioned hard work yeah and it pays off you know eventually mm -hmm. just, you know, as far as being a musician it's always about honing your craft and, and improving on things yeah, and I do that. The way I do that now is through YouTube. You know, I watch a lot of drummers on YouTube channels like Matt Garska from Animals with Leaders, and to uh, drummer Nile, George Colias, mm -hmm. Sugar's drummer. I mean, I pick up little different things, you know, different tricks, you know, to add to my tool belt. <laughs> well, never stop learning. That's another one. Yeah, that's yeah. the way to be. So, Always stay open. Yeah. I'm always, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old dog, but I'm always willing to try new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though, man, because yeah. a lot of people have that kind of um, elitist mindset, uh, you know, if they're from the old school scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I could, you know, speak to that question a little bit here. Yeah. Because um, what's standing out to me is like the word chromo uh, chromaticism. Um, now, I'm not really like like a virtuoso type player. Um, there's plenty of stuff I don't know. Um, I can't play songs by ear. I can't do any of that stuff. But um, I think the question was referring to the music itself, you know, being not quite um, as black and white or as one dimensional as some death metal can be. I believe like that's sort of, if I'm, I'm drilling down, you know, to the heart of the question, I think that's what part of it, uh, that question was, um, you know, for me, I don't really have any formal training in knowing how to do that, you know, in interjecting, you know, more melodicism or more color into something that's more traditionally like static, but it just kind of happens naturally for me. And I wish I could explain it more because it's sort of a lame answer, but I think it has a lot to do with like um, not just listening to death metal, like listening to like other styles of music, 
Um, and not so much wanting to interject those things into death metal, but nonetheless being just sort of hopelessly and inevitably influenced by like anything I was taking in. So, and also, I, I mean, I just never wanted to be just like a upper register death metal guitar player, if that makes sense, or lower register, I should say, excuse me, you know, just zero zero one zero zero one zero one zero one riffs, just like, I don't know, that's just, it's too simple for me, and it's it gets old quick, uh, it's too monotonous, so I just wanted to just sort of explore the possibilities on the guitar neck without really knowing how to play like Ingve, you know, or Paul Gilbert, but like, how could I play, you know, certain chords that open things up or going from like a typical brutal death metal riff into something a little bit more alternative sounding, you know, and like making things sound more colorful that way. I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Um, and another part of the question that he said was just if you could go back in time to when you were like a teenager, say, or, you know, just learning guitar, trying maybe trying to figure out when death metal was more of a mystery to you as, as music, what's uh, maybe like one, one t- you know, tip to a, to a younger guitarist or, or an aspiring guitarist? Uh, persistence, really. I think for me, like the fact that I was persistent in playing, like I never stopped playing, even though... You know, I didn't necessarily sit in my room for hours on end and play like scales and arpeggiated riffs and things like that. Um, I just think that I always played. And I, I, at one point, I knew that I was pretty good or good enough, I guess I should say. Um, And that wouldn't have come about if I had just sort of like noodled around on the guitar occasionally. Um, I think we all have people that, you know, say, oh, I play this instrument, but they only like, they're like weekend players. I felt like I just wasn't a weekend player it was like a daily thing i'm like let me sit down and play something practice something write something i think that was that that's would really be the advice i would give to people newly starting just well, do it always always do it that's great advice i think and it, it kind of reflects what keith said about just doing it over and i gotta say too um i'm falling back because a lot of these questions so far are more musical questions um, mm-hmm. It would be pretty. It would be pretty funny for me to imply that uh, um, uh, who is, is it? Getty Lee's the the vocalist in Rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To to imply that he he influenced me as much as I respect that man's work. Um, yeah. You know, there's not really much I could add that Rush inspired on the guttural tip. If anything, we all we all know it's very. You know, I've made it very public that um, original Afterbirth singer Matt Duncan, rest in peace, is probably my biggest vocal influence. So I, there wasn't much for me to add with the Rush question, but I will mm-hmm. chime in here. In terms yeah. of, uh, you know, something I would say to myself, you know, when I was younger and aspiring to do vocals in death metal bands. And it really just is to reflect the same thing you guys said, that persistence. Um, and when you kept saying, you know, you, you didn't want to just be a weekend, um, you know, musician and you wanted to do it, do it every day. That, it reminds me, it made me feel a little justified in, you know, I've, I've done this kind of like almost obsessive thing over the years where I'm in two or three bands at a time and I'll make time to have two or three rehearsals a week if that's what it takes with Buckshot Facelift, with Afterbirth when I was in other bands, nowadays with Exsanguinated or Reeking Oro when we're trying to make it happen. I just, you know, if I got to give up a whole day of work to drive to New Jersey and back just to rehearse or it it's kind of like as a vocalist, even though... 
um, <clears throat> it's not a career. I'm not paying the bills off of it. I want to. I take it seriously enough where I want. I want a legacy to leave behind of it. That I, you know, it took me being in several bands at once to do it every day, or to do it close to every day, or even if I wasn't at a studio with a microphone doing the vocals, to have my notebook and be writing to instrumentals every day and doing something for these bands every day. So that persistence is is universal to whatever you're trying to do in this, man. Even if you're trying to maybe start a label or promote shows or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a, a musical instrument and. Yeah, a label, you know, promoting shows or just being sort of like an A&R person. Like maybe you're not a musician, but you like just love death metal and you want to promote a band, you know, like and you want to like, you know, be involved, but in a different way. You know, it's just like that persistence is what is needed. Mm-hmm. And like I, that still happens today because like I, I have less time now than I ever did, you know, with work and school and family. But like, you know, literally like the the thing I do most when I'm when I'm off and I'm like at home if I'm not doing schoolwork and I'm watching like Ziggy um, I'm like literally sitting in the living room with him with my guitar so I just like play my guitar like all day while I watch him because <laughs> like you know I make it happen you know it's the yeah. only thing the only way it's going to happen so That's still great. yeah wouldn't that be funny if Ziggy plays guitar <laughs> but I'm bumped well I mean you know it's not so um not so unrealistic to think that a kid being raised watching his father play guitar might show some interest one day. But I know, you know, nobody wants to put anything on their on their kids. You just want them to do what they love. That's absolutely. My, my dad used to play music for me all the time, and that's part that's part of the reason why I became a musician. Yeah, good on your dad, yeah. man. Good on him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then I had a cousin upstate who used to he had like wall to wall cassettes in his room. Cause, you know, there's nothing to do up there because all well, it does is snow in the winter. <laughs> he would just get baked and listen to music all the time. And he influenced me into a lot of, like, early metal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he, you know, it's not all he listened to. He listened to, like, all kinds of music. So, all right, well, Keith, I want to, you know what, Keith, I got to have you on for a proper biographical episode. Um, one day, man, a proper hit in the whole episode where it's just you so we could explore that type of stuff a little bit. Cause I like that, man. And the, the idea of having a wall full of tapes and being snowed in, getting baked for the winter is reminding me a lot about <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but I, I got, I let's, I got, I want to push forward cause I got one more Patreon question and we got a lot, um, a lot of other questions from other sources. Uh, shout to Sam Marino, um, writes, Whose idea was it to do the recent recorded live session and what planning logistics went into it? Is it something you think you guys will do again? Um, Cody, do you want to take that? I'll take it. Um, I can't remember whose idea it was. Um, I believe, I mean, Will, I know you had mentioned Rock and Roll Gas Station to me, like, here and there. Um, And then Eric, I know who one of the guys, I believe Eric is really the one who started that i don't know how much involvement other guys or people have in it but like he reached out to me too i'm really i'm just spacing on it um but around that same time also is when we were approached to do that um uh, don't get out of bed fest i believe is the name of it or stay mm-hmm. in bed fest. yes uh, don't get out of bed fest. right so you know i guess the thought was we were approached with this fest because it was you know, as continues to be, you know, the pandemic, um, where people can't always play out live band wise, or people can't go out to a venue and see a band. 
Um, so how could we get the music out to a greater audience? So it was that proposition for the fest and then speaking to Eric and the rock and roll gas station people and just making time to go in there. And then us four, you know, the Afterbirth band members figuring out like what would be a good set of, I believe it was five songs that sort of encompasses like the old and the new, you know, from the demos, from Time Travelers and Four Dimensional Flesh, because we hadn't really been able to play any Four Dimensional Flesh shows at all at that point. Um, And really, that was the idea. Let's record something and we can go to Rock and Roll Gas Station to do it, because the Don't Get Out of Bed Fest has propositioned us to, you know, add our name to the show. And then we went there and did it, and that was pretty much the end of it. It was a rather, you know, simple process. It was a fun process. I remember we had a good time. Um, it's pretty freaking cold, just like today. Some snow on the ground. I think it was like a week or so after a, a similar type snowstorm or a blizzard. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just went in there. We banged the songs out live. I think we played... Some of the songs twice. Each song, I think we played twice. You know, we just sort of like picked the best one. Um, and then, you know, they mixed it down, uh, you know, rendered it so it would sound pretty decent, uh, both audio and video. And they gave us the product. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Mark Valentino was the one who did the the uh, videography, I should say, who, who uh, captured it all on video. That's right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, he, yeah, he works. Uh, what's that, Keith? I said thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah. He, yeah, I know he, he works doing the video angle. Uh, we interviewed him a while back, and, he you know, he also has done photography. He's in, um, stabbed. He's in uh, exsanguinated with me, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um uh, yeah, Eric uh, Gerwitowski is the main, I guess, audio engineer there. That's that's like his studio, and, and Mark, I guess, is part of the that video um, part of what they do. They have a YouTube channel where they've they've done. If you liked that video that Afterbirth did, you should look for Rock and Roll Gas Station on YouTube, where they've recorded uh, a lot of other bands. Um, actually, yeah. uh, Inoculation. We recently interviewed Inoculation, uh, and they they did one a while ago. That's really good to watch. So, oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So that's that's kind of how that came about. Um, and uh, we got the uh, the blessing um, from uh, the 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 don't get out of uh, bed fest to just put it online um, for for the holidays this year. We just kind of decided we wanted to put it out for like the you know just for listeners and fans and supporters, just kind of like a little you know fun thing because we haven't played out in a while. And um, uh, I think we've all agreed, uh, you know, that we definitely would do that again in the future. There's no concrete plans, um, you know. There's no, you know, nothing's booked or anything. But I, you know, I, I think it turned out great. I was proud of it. Uh, it got a positive response, which we're thankful for, and we would definitely do another one. I think is safe to say, right? Yeah, definitely. And I know, um, you know, we had. There's talk. I remember maybe a couple months back, we were sort of devising another set you know to do something like that maybe not five songs maybe something a little shorter of the more sort of uh psychedelic progressive death metal tracks we have um you know maybe less up on the brutal death angle and i I know we were talking about that and even practicing those songs so hopefully that will happen you know at some point you know in the future Yeah. yeah definitely yeah, man. Um, we had then we you know we were we were blessed uh, with the opportunity to open for um, internal bleeding and suffocation and 
uh, play with Stabbed in Monochromatic Black on Long Island, and then the holidays came up, and we're also in the midst of writing the the new album, and we had mm-hmm. the, the Willow Tip Records, big shout out to our label Willow Tip Records announcement, so oh, it's yeah. been very busy, so that's kind of, everything's kind of mixed up in, in the salad right now, we gotta pick it out, man. Yep. Um, including that you know the next live session whenever that might be, but um, we appreciate you for uh, for checking it out 100 percent, man. Um, mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna move to uh, some other questions. Let me punch it up real quick. I got um, uh, my longtime friend Dave Gladding. Um, you guys might oh, be yeah. acquainted with oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah old, I know Dave. Old What's up, Dave. <laughs> Old school Long Island death metal guy, um, kind of always been around in the circle, in the scene, collecting things, and very knowledgeable. Um, I have plans to have him on the show uh, as, a, as a guest. Um, I don't know if that episode, that episode may be out in, in time for this, or it may be out in the future, but I, I had to shoot him a couple of questions, um, just because uh, he's such a, uh, an old school uh, Long Island metalhead. I knew he'd love this one. Um, here's uh, He's got two good ones. Uh, he says, I first heard Afterbirth in the summer of 95 from a friend. I was then able to get a physical copy of the psychopathic embryotomy demo from the Relapse Records catalog later yeah. that same year. I've always been curious how Relapse got a hold of your demo way back then. That's interesting. Yeah, um, this is an angle that Matt Duncan worked at the time. Um, I don't know how he managed to land it in the distro. Um, Matt was a very gregarious uh, vocal guy um would basically talk to anybody and he was very much always promoting afterbirth um like not shy about it whereas i was like more reserved about it but he was just like <laughs> let's i guess he met someone who had an in at relapse at least on the distribution side and managed to like give him a few copies and that that's really all i know about it um <laughs> I think I've I've talked about it at band practice and another time on the podcast how like I don't remember a lot of like details from the past. I wish I had been more attentive or more involved, um, and I just wasn't. Maybe because I was young and things were also maybe moving fast, maybe too fast for me to comprehend. And that was one of those things where he told me a couple things and I was like, oh, that sounds awesome, <laughs> and. I, I didn't know much more beyond that. So the fact that I never knew that David found our demo via the relapse catalog. So the fact that he did that, that's awesome. And I hope that other people did too. I think Matt sent a bunch of copies to relapse. And then I remember him telling us that, that, that we sold out. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, I remember he, he tell he told me the story where he called, he called the, the guy, and he's like, oh yeah, no. He's like, no, they haven't sold out. And he's like, wait, let me speak to the other guy. I, I forgot their names. Anyways, uh, long story short, the guy's like, oh, you guys sold out. <laughs> like, so that that could be how Relapse got a hold of it. Yeah. Wow, awesome. Yeah, I think it was the original psychopathic demo on cassette. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah. So back then, yeah. it probably would have been just Matt and Bill from Relapse. So yeah, we could have gotten signed by them. Yeah, Bill Yerkowitz. Right. <laughs> We didn't know. I didn't even know. They were like a startup company back then, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they had been around for a few years at that point. I mean, I think like Relapse had started in, not Bill's basement, but uh, I forgot the gentleman's name. Matt. Somewhere. Matt. Yeah, Matt Colorado. And maybe like 88 or something like that. Uh, I mean, I'm not 
I don't have any real knowledge of it. So it wasn't too many years after that, about oh. five years, I guess. But relapse was already a big deal, I thought, at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got, they got huge since then. But... Yeah, I have liked relapse from the get-go, even though like they've gone in a lot of different directions. I've sort of never lost my respect for relapse like I have with, say, Roadrunner or Earache, you know? Yeah, I, I ran into a dude in uh, Florida who plays in a death metal band. They were signed by uh, Relapse. Well, the Relapse will sign almost anybody these days, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a shredder. <laughs> this kid was a shredder. <laughs> yeah. He, he had some risks. <laughs> what, can, you can't say what band, Keith? I think his name was Josh something, Josh. What You know? You don't know what band he was in? I'm not sure the name of the band, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm friends with him on Facebook. All right. Every once in a while, he'll put up guitar, you know, you know, guitar playthroughs and shit, and just or or songs that they're working on. I, I forget the name of the band though. All I, right, all right, that's cool. Well, I'll, I'll look into that. I will definitely uh, do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give him a shout, man. I'll just have to go to his profile page and see what band he's in. But I'm pretty sure they're signed by Relapse. All right. Um. In fact, he was at the Helmet Show when I when I went to the State Theater. I ran into him behind. He was backstage too. Well, I, I I got a good one here, and I kind of lament this is this is one. If I was going to ask Dave one question, I would ask him this one because it's a good one. Uh, Dave, our bassist, because Dave Gladding is asking a second question here. Are there any afterbirth songs that you think could be improved with the addition of a horn section? Hmm. Hmm. Can I give sure. you can I can I give you my answer what popped into my head when I read that? Yes. Uh Four Dimensional Flesh is the actual instrumental that ends the album, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is the one that, I, that popped right into my head and I said you could definitely add some dramatic horns and it would almost have this like 1970s kind of Planet of the Apes science fiction quality like, you know, it already has that but it would just, you know, it would it would add it more. We might have to remix it. You know what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll contact Kenny G and see if he can play some saxophone on it. <laughs> you know, a lot of the songs on Four Dimensional Flesh, like the interludes, of course. Um, off the top of my head, uh, you know, I'm not really like the more traditional, like brutal, progressive death metal songs. I'm not really like hearing it yet, but um, if I were to give it a little thought. You know what's popping into my head, like the way Maggots and her smile starts off, like pretty viciously. If we had like sort of like a John Zorn, you know, alto sax, you know, freaking the fuck out over the blast beat and the and the riffs over that very beginning, that would be pretty sweet. Interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's interesting. I like. I, that. I was thinking more like Great Gig in the Sky, but like Pink Floyd, with that with that chick singing, like doing like a vocal solo throughout the whole song. Yeah, that would be pretty wild. I don't know. With some Pink Floyd saxophone going on. <laughs> Give it like a spacey vibe. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, well, we might have to talk about it behind the scenes. <laughs> we'll still see what happens uh, for the know, new I'm album. Down. You know, I'm yeah. down. What, what, another thing, um, I don't know if you guys, uh, Isan from uh, Emperor, his, he's done a number yeah. of solo albums. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the album The After where he had uh, a... a a saxophonist uh, come in and accompany him on a number of songs, and it turned out very well, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's I haven't heard that. I'm not like so big into Isan's material, like solo stuff. Um, but I think if it's done well, 
or if not even if it's done well because i mean if you play death metal and if you play saxophone or like any other instrument you have to be good at it um you know to, to really like put your money there but if it sounds appropriate i guess not so much that it sounds well or it sounds good but it sounds appropriate um and i don't uh the brass against band they do like rage against the machine but all on brass instruments yeah that's not death <laughs> not although like what's um uh what is it rivers of nile don't they have a saxophone player? Yeah, they. Yeah, that's that's a lot more in line. See, what Rivers of Nile did or what Eson did is a lot more um, what I'm thinking of. To take yeah, more I'm, like metal songs and do them with a like a, a ska or horn arrangement, like like brass. Like that's that's one thing, but I don't think that's what we're really talking about here. You gotta have no, a lot no, of, no. You gotta have a lot of lung power for that. <laughs> Yeah, I respect it. I'm not putting it down, but to take a death metal composition and add a, a wind instrument to it in a meaningful way that doesn't really break the metal atmosphere, that's impressive, you know? Yeah, man, you're mm-hmm. spreading on a saxophone. <laughs> so I know um, there's an artist, I'm sorry, just one more thing, yeah. uh, musician Colin, Colin Stetson, he's a saxophone player, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's pretty well known. He's done... He did the Hereditary soundtrack, actually, that somewhat recent horror movie that a lot of people like really like that I like too. Okay, but he's also in a in a band uh, called Brain Tentacles uh, with with Dave Witt, you know, Human Remains, Municipal Waste, and somebody else. Um, and that's pretty freaking metal, you know. But he he goes off. He he really goes off on it, where it's not always like you're not always aware it's a saxophone. Yeah, well, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm not even aware they had saxophone and death metal. Uh, that's new to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some stuff to look up, uh, Keith, on Spotify. Because uh, oh, yeah, you, yeah, I, I'll definitely send you a couple. Because there's, yeah, man, there's some cool stuff like that Rivers of Nihil album. I think what was it? Where owls know my were, know my name, or was it? A, or was it a more a recent? Or was it the more recent album where they they played up that saxophone player? I definitely know, like on the work. The, the newest album the work maybe it was the work um, yeah all right i gotta look into that i don't yeah. want to misstate that but yeah they you, people could look that up and that Eson album definitely um and keith i'm behind the scenes i'll hit you but but um we got a lot of questions here and i have one more from dave gladding um has afterbirth mm-hmm. ever considered doing any cover songs i know the answer to this so i'll i'll let you guys feel this Ooh. yeah um i know we've talked about it um and it hasn't ever really like worked out um, because I'm I'm sort of of two minds. Um, part of me is like, oh man, there's so many songs I would love to cover. That would be very cool. Um, and then the other part of me thinks, still thinks that. But then I'm like, there's too much work for us to do with our own material. Um, like, you know what I'm saying? I just feel yeah. like I'm torn between the two worlds. Like even recently, we were talking about this. And it, it's, it almost seems like a conversation we revisit like every year almost. <laughs> um, I'm not even complaining about that because talking about music with you guys is fine no matter what it is. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen because me personally, like my Cody's stance, you know, if I can talk about myself on the third person for a second, is that I have like too much afterbirth material in my head and it just needs to come out and even that takes too long so i'm just like uh you know throwing a cover song into that would be 
um, you know, a lot more work and it would push push the afterbirth material like further back in the pipeline. I think that would be more or less like if we ever did it, it would be more like a side project than like just do a album worth of covers. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't see that we even have the time to do one, let alone a, an album. Like, I'm not like, you know, if Six Feet Under wants to do it, you know, Graveyard Classic, that's fine. But um, Metallica did it. They did the Garage Days. Yeah. That was all covers that they did when they were first started out. Mm-hmm. Keith, do you have a TV on in the background? Uh, no, I was going upstairs for a beverage. Oh, okay. I'm hanging out in the garage, the, the green room. <laughs> okay, cool, man. Yeah. So um, the noise going up and down the stairs. <laughs> well, I, you know, I know that you guys had mentioned, wasn't it Necrosis? Was the, was the one? Yes. That, yeah, you wanted to cover a Necrosis, old school Long Island death metal band that's uh, unfortunately a yeah. little bit for, forgotten the history. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm still friends with Gary Gitlin online. Yeah, I gotta, yeah. I gotta reach out. Um, I think I, I had dialogue with him a while ago. We gotta get him on the show. But, um, but, but, all right. So moving on, because the cover song thing, it's like it's, it's the same story with a lot of bands I've been in where it would be a lot of fun, but we all work full time jobs. Some people have families. We get together once a week at best. Sometimes once or twice a month at best to jam. So you, it's, it's like the economy of time with the material mm-hmm. we have to work on. Um, is usually working against us doing a cover song for fun or something like that. You yeah, know? that's that's yeah, I agree. But um, well, all right. Eventually, my goal is to fix up my garage and take out a loan and make this a working jam space. So, if any listeners, if Tony Baldoni is listening and wants to loan Keith some money, <laughs> watch out, Keith. We don't know where that might go, but go, go for it, man. No, I was thinking more lines like maybe doing an equity loan, like a home equity loan. Yeah, Tony Baldoni's got one of those high equity loans for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, give me a hundred thousand dollars. I'll take a slice of your house. Oh boy! Uh, yeah. You gotta sell it. I take all your money. That's how it works. He'll be sell- he'll be selling ski jackets out the back. But I'll um, be dead by then. <laughs> I got um yeah you'll be dead all right. Listen, I got I got I got uh, a few more um, messages here now because I know Cody you you curated a few off of Afterbirth social media right? Yeah, I saw a few there. So all right, so I just I have a few more working off of the heavy hole Instagram now that I wanted to ask you guys. You guys need a break? I'm good. Um, I'm good. Okay, cool. Um, so right now we're gonna move into um after uh, uh to heavy hole um. Uh, Instagram uh, Will I believe this is Will Is it Will Minor? Everybody's got these crazy Instagram names Will dot MNHR on uh, Instagram Asks which movie do you prefer Alien 1979 Or Aliens 1986 With a secret bonus option The Thing from 1982 Oh Co- come on dude Cody this question is for you <laughs> Yeah <laughs> Well, I'm going to go Aliens every time, and we could argue the merits of either till we're blue in the face, but Aliens is my preferred choice, and I don't have, I'm not raising it above Alien in terms of, like, being the better film. It's just my preferred film, so I think it's better in that regard, and, you know, the thing is always good, especially now. I've been thinking about watching it because it's a goddamn blizzard out there. I was wearing a shirt yesterday. Um, But I'm always going to go Aliens, always. So 
Oh, so Aliens, nineteen eighty six, over the original Alien. Yeah, yep. It's okay. just my pre- just my preference. That's okay, all. okay. I I think, I, I think it was more current for that time. And, and Alien, the first one, was kind of slow moving and super long. Yeah, oh, I don't have a problem with any of that. Alien is a straight up classic. I love how slow and brooding it is. It's like. Yeah, no, yeah. I got the box set. I got the box set and the new one. The latest, uh, Prometheus was also good. <laughs> yeah, I Prometheus love- gets shit on a lot, but it's actually not a terrible film, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like Aliens. You know, it, it does kind of uh, have you know follow that storyline. Yeah, I I enjoy Prometheus and Covenant because it adds to the lore. Yep. Of the, it's there's a lot of world building and lore. I, you know, I'm not going to recommend those movies on merit of like characters or, or the actors' performance. Or you know, I mean, I, you know, everybody could pick it apart for a lot of different reasons. Um, I think you know, it, but for me personally, like be, having been a lifelong fan of the, I'll say the first four Alien films because um, Alien Resurrection gets shit on too unfairly, in my opinion. But I, I think it just adds to a lot of world building, and you kind of lose yourself, and, and you can rewatch the older movies kind of with some some kind of cool foreknowledge. But to answer the question myself, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to be the only one that goes with the original Alien. I'll agree, <laughs> Aliens was like the '80s um, paramilitary blockbuster kind of thing that was competitive with with your uh, your more like Commando type. You know, your your Rambo and your you know, Star, mm-hmm. yeah, Star Wars and Rambo. It was Star Wars. All, you know, <laughs> Rambo this, I mean, it was like, like it was kind of like, like Alien. But the, you know, also when you look at the franchise, it's kind of like Alien was the dark horror movie. Aliens was like the blockbuster action '80s movie, and then the third one was kind of like the weird '90s kind of like um, artistic indie type of movie. And then Alien Resurrection was like the late '90s, early 2000s style. Uh, kind of like goofy, self-aware action movie. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, they all have a different genre, which I appreciate almost like from a you know a musical perspective. Yeah, you know, like I appreciate all those films. Like, and if you look, if you like, read into like Fincher's vision for Alien Three and what it didn't become because of basically studio interruption and just studio involvement when they shouldn't have been. It was, like, it would have been amazing. It was supposed to be on this like wooden satellite ship full of priests and all this like crazy shit um it was just like it would have been amazing if he could have like done his thing and resurrection is great because the the director that did it i'm forgetting his name he's a french director he did a bunch of very weird amazing and just wonderful films you know in like the late uh you know mid 90s late 90s and early 2000s like he directed amelie um is it is it javier Date Pardue or something. what was it's like on the tip of my son Javier Pardue or something. Nah, it's like Jean 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 something. All right, we're gonna edit this out. We're gonna edit all that out. I don't like I don't like sounding stupid on the well, podcast. I'm gonna tell you who it is right now. Jean Pierre Junot. All right, so I was completely um uh, wrong. All right, so but any but that kind of you know yeah. we could talk aliens all day, man. And I you know yeah I I enjoy. All those movies for different reasons, um, and I, you know, I will, I, I will digress here though, man, because that could start a whole conversation. Um, <laughs> yep. Now here's one: Is there? Uh, uh, I, I should write uh, Asa um, on Instagram writes: Is there an intentional difference 
in how you all compose the interlude tracks versus full-on songs. Sorry, Will, I know this question kind of automatically excludes you. That's okay, man. It's, uh, you guys get to hear me every single week. You, you don't get to hear Cody and Keith every week. So, um, is, so Cody, I don't know if you want to talk about uh, the composition of the interludes as compared to the composition of the more traditional Afterbirth songs. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, with the interludes, it'll usually be something that tends to be softer, um, and it's like basically a riff or a piece that I write that doesn't really have a connection to another song. Like it never became part of a larger song, but it sounds good on its own. I think that's the criteria. It's like, okay, this is, this is sort of soft or dreamy or ethereal and I really like it and it could be an interlude and it's not going to be part of another song. Um, but if we play it for just a brief period of time, it's not going to become belabored. It's not going to become monotonous, too monotonous, I guess. It's going to sound like just right. Um, you know, not every not every soft, quote-unquote, soft thing I, I write is interlude material, but um, there's, no, there's no test. It just, it just has an interlude feel to me, and then I present it to the group, um, and we'll just sort of go from there, you know? All right, fair enough. And, uh, you know, Keith, you know, Cody does a lot of the composition, especially with those interludes, but is there any um, any different approach you might have or different perspective you might have about the interludes compared to the regular death metal songs? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, being there on the softer side, I got to, like, hunker down and play some soft, soft, uh, tasteful things on drums. Um, and I, I usually like to add keyboards that as well that's right we should add if people don't yes. realize the keyboards that you hear on four-dimensional flesh are all keith's you you mm-hmm. you composed all those keyboard parts and performed them that's correct um and one i did uh played on the baby grand yep that's like doing some nice little soft chords on it and you pretty much do it like you know there's not too much post-production going into that like we're really just like it's almost like in real time, you know, like we record it and then it's like you just kind of like sit down and just noodle around a bit. You know? Yeah, I mean, I play by I play piano by ear. I've always had like I, I can pick up on sounds. I can play off a guitar, you know, lead guitar player if I had to. Like just, you know, by noodling around, finding the right notes and hitting the right chords. <laughs> Does that ever hurt? I mean, most piano players use their hands, but you play by ear. Ah, yeah, I, yeah I play with my ears. Yeah, it, it doesn't really hurt. I mean, you know, they're all right. Sorry, bang my head on the piano a few times. <laughs> this guy's making dad jokes, man. I guess it's about time you got you got kids, dude. I mean, you you should hear me. You should hear me at home. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, type banging music. You got to bang your head on something, you know. <laughs> why not? Why not a piano key? <laughs> Hammer those strings. <laughs> but we're. I I want to just. We're very fortunate with Keith for many reasons, and yes, because like he plays like the piano or the keyboards on on those interlude tracks. It really adds more dimension to it. More, there's more flavor. There's more color. There, it's just more. There's more body. Um, I think you know maybe Dave or I could have done that too if we didn't have a Keith in the band, and it wouldn't have sounded as good. It would have been like probably you know interesting, but um, Keith you know, really adds even more depth to the band through the playing of, of keyboards or piano. So I'm thankful for that. 
It's just like cooking, you know, like you, you get your chicken and you just spice it up a little bit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Add some flavor to the palate, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%, man. Um, and, it, I, you know, I think it also, when people listen to the way Keith plays drums, um, you know, you, you can tell in some ways that it's informed by someone who has a more, who has an understanding at least of the, you know, the keyboards and more melodious instruments, I should say, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and moving on, because we do have a lot of questions here, um, uh, M. Luna, uh, Moth of Iron on Instagram, um, big shout. Uh, he has a few questions, um, starting with another, another good science fiction question, RoboCop or Terminator? Terminator. Terminator. Wow, quick, real, <laughs> real quick. All right. I'm going to say this. Uh, this is tough for me because I do... I, Terminator, I'm going to have to say, all right? I will say Terminator. I feel like RoboCop gets the short end of the stick a lot, especially especially as a franchise in terms mm-hmm. of reliability. Because Terminator, as much as we all love Terminator 1, Terminator 2, we have varying degrees of love for movies after that and maybe the, some of the TV series after that. I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, don't get me wrong. I love RoboCop, but Terminator was like... As far as action, like yes. took the cake on that one. <laughs> I I will agree. I'd like Terminator Two and Terminator One have like the biggest overall impact on you know as like a you know a fan or whatever for me. RoboCop and RoboCop Two, great movies, and more, I agree. Way more oh, yeah. brutal and gory than people. Dude, remember, they're like horror movies wrapped in like robotic armor. That's really what RoboCop is. You know, they're brutal, like, bro. And picking the future of America. And <laughs> you know, Paul Paul Verhoeven, who directed that, who also directed a lot of other, you know, Total Recall and the amazing Starship Troopers. Um, really hit the nail on the head with political satire. Um, um, just like the messaging in that film of like what the future might hold for us at that time and almost like literally like what we see happening now. It's like Robocop was more a harbinger of what actually was to come than Terminator. You know, if you catch my drift, like well, there was more, I more mean, accuracy. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there obviously there's been some degrees of legislation and policy regarding it, but we have seen they do have those mechanical dogs. Oh, those are terrifying for, for like law enforcement and and military. Like they they have they are they're they're developed. It's just a matter of working out the, the legal work. Well, um, yeah, of course, like, of course, something amazing as that would have to be weaponized. You know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be America if it wasn't. Yeah, it's so. not. Oh, all right. Let's not get into that. Yeah, you, you could use it to bring uh, medicine or whatever to people. I'm sure lots of different things. Um, uh, uh, there's, I'm sure, there's tons of possibilities. People with dangerous, uh, life-threatening jobs. But uh, anyway, to answer the original question, I would have to say I'll agree with you guys, but I don't want to say that we're shitting on RoboCop. And I, and I will agree if you're going to go franchise for franchise, RoboCop has more bang for your buck. Terminator mm-hmm. has a lot of extra shit that didn't really go over that well. Yeah, because like I have like obviously love for one and two. Um, I have some. I definitely like three. It was fun. You know what I mean? The continuation of the story. But then it starts to get into like uh, Terminator Genesis or uh, Dark. Uh. Fate. I can't. Uh, remember. Yeah, yeah. And you, only, you only have ten seconds to comply. Yeah, fourteen seconds. What was was Terminator Salvation? That was the one with Christian Bale, right? 
That movie was fucking terrible. See? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay, see, this is good because I love that movie. <laughs> That's probably the only movie I really enjoy comparably enough to, to T1 and T2. I thought that movie was great. I and I'm like I'm not going to say it's as good as those movies or as important as those movies, but I thought the premise, I thought the acting, I thought mm-hmm. the nods to Terminator 2 weren't like ham-fisted. They were, you know, oh, they, were, okay. they were fun. Um I thought like Christian Bale is one of my favorite actors to begin with, but I, I thought I thought he did a good You either love him or yeah, hate him. Good yeah, I you like know, Christian Bale. Of like, course, I yeah. I can understand people like cuz dude anytime Terminator has, does something any anytime somebody does anything new within the Terminator franchise people are going to hate it and probably rightfully so at this point like leave it alone. I've heard the Sarah Chronicle uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles show was pretty good. I haven't seen that, but that Terminator Salvation to me seems to be like the only thing I've seen in recent memory that came out that's like uh, that you, I mean, I'm also th- what was the one with Claire Danes? The the rise of Terminator Three. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude! Like Terminator Salvation, at least is above the Claire Danes uh, thing. You know, I like when he hijacked the fire truck, the hook ladder truck. <laughs> Let me give you. I, I need to tell you. I can't. I mean, I said that it fucking sucks. Let me tell you why. So Terminator Salvation is not a good film, and it's the only film of the Terminator franchise that breaks tradition with featuring any time travel at all in it. There is not anything about time travel in it at all. Like, no one goes back in time, no one goes forward in time. It doesn't happen at all. And I'm just like, what the fuck? They're in the future. <laughs> They're just, yes, that's it. They're in the future. There's, yeah, there's like, nonlinear storytelling in that, like, you can, you, you know, you see past instances and then you go forward in the future. Oh, yeah, like, flashing yeah. back. There was no flashing back in that movie. Yeah, you're right. It, it well, like, you're... they don't give you an inkling on, on, on the other movies. Oh, yeah, and they don't they don't send anyone through time. It's more of like I, I I can understand that, but I mean there's it's also more of like this weird they create the half human, half terminator guy and it's like his yeah. his journey is like a weird time travel kind of thing. I'm not gonna argue with you. I like you're right. They definitely don't show time travel the way they showed it in the first two where someone zapped back and they have to find clothes or whatever. But <laughs> um, it's, well, that's, that's like an interesting part of the franchise. You know what I mean? They they played yeah, that up a lot in Terminator Two. They definitely played that up from Terminator One. That whole part uh, aspect of it, and we'll always remember Arnold Schwarzenegger appearing. And there's that perfectly like cut line in the um, in the chain link fence. You know, and the, yeah. in, in the I, but I get it. But um, uh, with Salvation though, what I will say is that it takes place in the dystopian, um, a post apocalyptic future. Which, yeah, it does. as a little kid watching Terminator 2, I always wanted a movie about that. So I felt like Terminator Salvation delivered a movie about the post-apocalyptic future that was at least, it immersed you in that world for a while and not horribly. You know, it did yeah. that. So I, like, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to say it's, it's like, you know, one of the best of the franchise, but I, there's a lot of points to it that it, 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 I, it delivered for, I think, longtime fans more than other movies. It did because they're always talking about Skynet and like what, you know, um, John Connor and him leading the army and, you know, sort of reclaiming. Now, at the end, when Skynet becomes Wednesday Adams from the Adams family and it's all like that, I I don't know about all that. There is some weird stuff going on and some like (laughs) non-believable kind of science fiction towards the end with with Skynet. But 
pushing on because I don't. I also am not that invested that I want to spend all day defending it. Um, and and also, uh, uh, M Luna from uh, IG has some better questions, such as this one: Tell us your shittiest show experience. Mm. I was just thinking about this one because um, actually, Dave Glading Gladding. I I don't know if I'm saying his last name Gladding. correct. Gladding sent me a photograph of me and Matt on stage at the Roxy. And I remember the show very specifically because it was a terrible show. It was a weeknight and it was cold. It was like November, maybe it was raining. It was just like not a nice night to be out. And um, it was maybe Dying Fetus was headlining. Maybe Candiria was also playing. Um, it was like very poorly attended. Uh, no one was there. I don't remember having fun at the show. It was just, it felt like almost like this is the end, you know, of <laughs> death metal. Like it really, it felt like, like it felt like something that was just like terrible. What about that show we played at the Roxy with Grave on a Wednesday night where, where nobody attended? Well, maybe there was more of those shows that I realized, you know. And they came, and they came from another country, and they were like, what the hell? <laughs> wow. So, you know, unless unless that's the same show and we're just mixing our headlining bands up. but Well, here's the thing. like They didn't have like social media back then. We, you know, like our way of advertising was putting up flyers, you know, on telephone poles and here and there. Yeah, but it was just a terrible show because, like, it because no one was there and that's why it felt terrible to me and i i felt so like exposed being on stage with only like four people in the crowd i'm just like oh god this is awful but you we know? still played we still endured and graves <laughs> still played and we got to see graves for free so that well, was a win for me because that was one of the bands that actually alex introduced me to <laughs> yeah they came from yeah, they- sweden you guys came out from bayshore <laughs> Scourge of uh, Insanity was was that it? It was Something a black like cover, yeah, with, like white white illustration on it. Yeah. Um. All right. So I have a lot of shitty show experiences from all the different bands, but just I'm thinking in terms of Afterbirth. I've been I've only been in after I've been in Afterbirth about five or six years now. I haven't played as many shows with you guys. Obviously, people know. Um, 
because uh, I wasn't there in the the old days. But the 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 shit. I don't think we've had like we've played a shitty show while I've been in the band. I appreciate every experience, so I'm going to say that. But what yeah. I will remind you guys of is we did a little weekend, you know, three show gig thing one time. And I we what did we do? We did, we went down to Baltimore, yeah, Philly, uh, yeah, Philly Baltimore. and Baltimore. Oh, yeah, the- Whatever we did, the bottom line is we got we got a hotel room like halfway back up to New York or whatever it was and um, mm-hmm. woke up early and got there early to go play the Meat Locker in New Jersey. That's right. yeah. And yeah. it ended up being a wonderful show. I had a great time. The only thing is that we got there at like what, like noon or like Too one? Too early. Day. Dude, yeah. we, we and, and if people, and everyone who knows, the Meat Locker in New Jersey runs their show's late to begin with they begin their shows um i don't know 10 11 at night sometimes it's just a local thing the shows go off great um but they start late so we i dude we were hanging out for like 10 hours or something ridiculous like it was hot and humid yeah yeah, we were like we we were like we were like on the side of some restaurant and they let us chill out on a, a, a table and chairs outside and we just like sat there all day drinking water it was crazy (laughs) <laughs> I just remember, I, I just remember, like having to walk a couple of miles to, to go to a bar because it was a dry town. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. right. We we did walk down, and, and and you guys found a bar somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I we I like I googled it, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a bar like a mile down the road. We had to walk to the other side of town. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We, walked, we hiked it, and because uh, we had all those hours, we we're like, we're not playing for another twelve hours. <laughs> We should have just hung out at the hotel and just ate more, uh, what do you call it, Continental Buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We well, could have just chilled, relaxed. So that was, you always want to be planned, planned ahead and early and everything, but sometimes that can even backfire, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I know I was a truck driver for a little bit. I don't know how that goes. Try yeah. to plan your stops and shit. You don't want to get to your stop way ahead of time because you'd be sitting there for hours <laughs> that's what we did man but uh but moving on uh the last question from m luna on ig is um have you ever accidentally touched your genitals with hot sauce on your hands no yeah no i had to say no on that i mean intentionally yes not whoa, accidentally. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> that's not for the <laughs> podcast consumption Okay. I'm gonna say big no too. I'm not a big hot sauce guy. I'm. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Do I don't the know if that'd be spicy. a good idea. That might hurt. Yeah, I, it'd be like putting cologne on your genitals. You know, yeah. that, I might. That might sting a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know what, man. We did back in the day. That, um, I don't know if I played Even Flow with you guys. That was before my era. But you, we, the, we all hung out at Even Flow a lot. So we, you know, we got to be thankful that never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those hot wings, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's just a little overboard. <laughs> All right, I I'll think leave that for the I'll leave that for the uh for what do you call that for the jackass crew. <laughs> oh yeah. I ended up oh. with one question off of Facebook. Um the question is when is the next show? The question asker is Chris Basile of Pyrex. Oh uh, yeah. Big shout to Chris. <laughs> I saw that um we don't have another show planned for right now. Um, Cody. For a lot of, what? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, Cody, I didn't want to put you on the spot like that, but I, I wanted to shout out Chris Basile, and I thought this <laughs> would be a good um, a good spot to explain 
for listeners and fans of Afterbirth that there's a lot going on with the band and it might be a little while before we book something. I don't know if you want to go into that. I have no problem going into it. Um, I just know that it's been sort of like a little a little sore spot with some of us. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been very bitter and angry about not being able to play shows, but I still love you guys and I understand. So, yeah, yeah. But, but if you want to go on, man. I will. Um, you know, Dave has some things going on right now. Uh, health-wise, he's fine. Don't worry. You know, but he's got to take care of some stuff. He's going to be out of commission for a little bit. Um, me, you know, I have, you know, a little baby. I have school. Um, I have a new job. Like, these are all good things for me, but, like, they just take up a lot of time. I don't I don't really have, like, the freedom. It, not even the freedom that some young people have, even, like, you know, older people have. I just don't have the freedom to just sort of go away, you know, for a couple of days, even sometimes, um, even sometimes just saying, Oh, I want to go to Brooklyn at night is almost like a Herculean task for me. It's crazy. It's crazy how much work I have to do just to get out of the house on a daily basis, let alone like getting ready for a show. Um, so, you know, I hope, you know, maybe in the summer when school is over for me, may, I would love to just play like one show. So like, look, can we say maybe in the warmer weather, <laughs> you know, to sort of like va- vaguely like dance around the question? Uh, well, no, it's not dancing around the question. That's all understandable. And anyone who's who's followed underground metal for any period of time should understand that most bands are not in a position to accept every show that comes along or to try to even stick it out and go on tour and, and work out there because we all have jobs. Like you said, you have a young family. Um, there's a lot of different reasons. So, yeah, I mean, I think the basic thing is that, unfortunately, we would like to get out there. Um, I, you know, I'm in a position now where I want to get out there and, and, you know, the world's opening up from the pandemic and I want to play shows. I'm in a bunch of different bands and I'm, I'm kind of pushing everybody um, but but I'm understanding too that not everybody um, uh, is not everybody has the same priorities as me. So and that's fine. Um, that's part of life. So we're all working together to try to be as productive, I think, as we can with Afterbirth until we can get it back out there live. Like we said, we're, we've we've talked about doing another one of those live in studio session videos. Uh, we're constantly writing the new album. We rehearse like clockwork, except for this blizzard now. And, um, you know, it's not that you're not going to see Afterbirth live, but I don't think we're going to be a regular gigging local band like we were for a few years there. Um, I think it's going to be the type of thing where, where you might see us pop up on some more seasonal fests and shows when we're available. Yeah, and if I, you know, if I could, you know, still keep piggybacking on that. Um, unfortunately, and this is not just for Afterbirth, I know, like, you had mentioned, like, the world is kind of, like, opening up. The pandemic is like easing restrictions. I see actually more, some more restrictions coming back in place. And I see sort of that, oh, more canceled tours happening again, which is sort of like a real kick in the teeth. Maybe not for me personally, because I'm not in those bands, but just seeing that news again, like, oh, whole tours canceled, you know, for COVID related reasons, just kind of like really sucks. Well, the um, thing is, one person gets COVID in a band, and they're playing with six other bands. The whole show's canceled. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but like, yeah, like seasonally speaking, you know, that might be like more realistic. Um, and unfortunately, like we live in a society that like, like I'm going to school out of passion and having a family out of passion. But like, 
I have to go to school also because I need to, I need money because of the society I live in. And if I, if I want to make any real money, like I'm going to be going to school for like, Oh my God, the rest of my life, probably, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I'm going to be a doctor, but I'll probably go all the way up to like nurse practitioner. Like that's where like the real money is. So that'll, it'll always be an issue. <laughs> Sorry. That's a hard path, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of nurses, my, well, oh, actually all my mom's sisters were nurses. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, that's sort of, that's a lot of information to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I think that that about um, that about does it. And you know, it's also not unusual. Like I said, in underground metal, there's bands that have played two shows and they've been around thirty years. You know, it, it happens. Um, I think about that all the time. Like like huge cult bands, like they played one show. You know, <laughs> it's just like we, holy shit. We really? actually <laughs> we interviewed Maggot Vomit Afterbirth from Texas. Um, uh, coincidentally enough, they have Afterbirth in their name. But we interviewed Maggot yeah. Vomit Afterbirth recently. They talked about playing. They were supposed to play with one of their side projects to open up for Intestinal Disgorge from Texas. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. a very cult kind of porno grind, gore grind band from Texas that's only played like two shows, but they've been around since the nineties. So yeah. A lot of shit like that, man. So, yeah, I mean, I think that accurately answers the question without going into everybody's privacy too much. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, and that about wraps it up now for, I'll say, part one of our Afterbirth uh, Blizzard question and answer uh, as we took a snow day from rehearsal. We know that a lot of people left questions on the Afterbirth social media. We will get to you for a part two in the near future. Um, just being mindful of my bandmates' time. Uh, it was a very busy day uh, going on with the Blizzard. A lot of people still had priorities, and we had to dig ourselves out. Um, but thank you very much for listening and for contributing your questions. And we're going to get to part two of this very soon in the next few weeks uh, and get it out there for you for those of you who contributed questions on the Afterbirth social media. Um, again, this is Big Will for Heavy Hole Podcast. Big shout out to Tom and Justin. Help me out behind the scenes this week. Uh, and um, as always, you can go to heavyholepodcast.com. You can go support us on Patreon. I'm getting those Patreon episodes caught up. I got you. Uh, And you can go to um, all of the social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you follow us. Um, And you can even leave a question for uh, Afterbirth um, now still for the part two if you catch it in time. So in the meantime, uh, be sure to look out for the Afterbirth YouTube channel. We have that live in studio session that we were speaking about. You can check out uh, the new Killer Hill is, I believe, available now. That's a band featuring Dave Case of Afterbirth and of Helmet. Big shout to Dave. We'll try to get him involved down the line to answer some of those questions for you as well. Um, He wasn't available uh, this past uh, Sunday during the blizzard when we were recording all that for you guys. So uh, until then, that's about it, man. And um, it was bound to happen one week that you guys would get an episode where Tom and Justin are not loaning their voices. So out of all three hosts now, you only got one.